So we are starting a new series today, which, uh, and this series is, we had a new series titled Companion for the Journey, as we're going to be studying our way through the book of 1 Timothy. And so this is a new series, and this is uh, week one of the series, but this is also a continuation of what we just finished studying. And, and maybe you know, we just finished a series last Sunday titled, Why We Do What We Do. We looked at the vision and mission of our church, of joining the journey, and out of our four core values um, and we looked at the, the five steps of the faith journey and, and how we all grow through, naturally grow through these phases of our, of our, of our faith and of our life as we grow in who, who God is and, and who we are as a follower of Jesus. And so this is the time where, just for a moment, this is, this is a quiz for those of you that heard that last series, right? What are the five phases of the faith journey? The first one is? Attend, right? And, and I know some of you are looking on the bulletin, the core values are there, but these ones aren't. So we'll see how much you were listening, right? And first step is to attend. The next step is to, is to grow, right? And again, you consume in deeper level and to grow in our small groups, in our classes. We start attending, right? Then we grow uh, and then we move. And, and you see, again, all of our programs are connected to these phases, right, of growth. And we start attending, and that's primarily our focus on Sunday morning as we consume on Sunday morning. Then we consume deeper into small groups and classes. But we go deeper level teaching and deeper level relationships in those groups as, and at the grow level. And then the next one, the, so we attend and we grow and then we serve, Right? And that's where we start serving a ministry. And that's, again, we volunteer, right? We help. We, that's where we start to move from consuming to contributing. Right? And, and we, again, grow um, as we serve. And, and we see, again, we just volunteer to help in some way. Right? And then we move from serving to deeper levels of serving, which is lead. Right? And we start to step up and take some leadership roles in different places, whether that's ministries, not just in our church, but also in our community. Right? As, as we're out and realizing as we continue to grow in our faith that everything we do can be a ministry right? if our goal behind what we do is to glorify God. Right? So it's, there's ministry not just within our church, but also in our community, in our families, and in our jobs. And then as we lead in the, the final phase of, of this growth plan journey is to mentor. Right? And that leads us then to what, again, we're focusing on in this series, right? is as we attend, grow, serve, lead, and mentor. And, and we mentor, who do we find and, and, and invest in in, our, in in their life, in their faith, or those that are back at the beginning, right? who are just starting out in their faith journey. And, and we see this ongoing cycle then of, of consuming the things of God and contributing to God's kingdom, and, and how each of those start this ongoing self-fulfilling cycle in our lives as we continue to grow in our journey through Christ. And we see, again, as, as we, we look at this, this, um, this vision, right, and, and um, the, our strategy on how we're going to do this, and again, our, our strategy might change, and, and things in our church changes, and leadership changes, and kind of all of these things, but yet we have our four core values that we are committed to saying these things will never change. And so this is a little easier. This is more of the open book part of the quiz, right? Because these are on the front of your bulletin, right? The four core values, core value number one, Jesus Christ is the destination of our journey, right? Everything is about Jesus. He's at the center of everything we do, right? And our goal, again, in our journey is to be more like Christ tomorrow than we are today. Core value number two, scripture is the foundation and roadmap of our journey, 
And we believe in the power of Scripture, right? And that it's, it's a firm foundation, and it's a roadmap in showing him what our next steps are. And core value number three, all generations contribute to the journey. Again, all generations are as, as much the part of the church today as they ever will be. All generations are important, right, and bring value to God's family. And, and, and we all move, again, from consuming to contributing on that journey. And core value number four that we talked about last week, that everyone is welcome. And that is the story, the message of the gospel. Right? That's the heart of God is he wants to save everyone. Right? He doesn't want any to perish, but to give all eternal life. And, and as we look at, 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 at all of this, right, this is all based on, on these passages that we studied in these last weeks. And, and again, if you miss those messages, you're welcome to go back. They're all online, and you can go back and watch those. Uh, but the overall goal of being of Jesus' followers, you see through the Great Commission and through our ongoing faith journey, is to be a disciple that helps make other disciples. Right? That's the overall goal. And as we step into this and, and look at this, this idea of, am I, first, am I a disciple of Jesus? Right? And then am I a disciple of Jesus that is, that is helping other people be better disciples? And ultimately, that's the goal of the Great Commission, right? Is to, to have all nations find who Jesus is, right? And for us to continue to grow through our faith as we move forward in our own faith journey and help others do the same, and which leads us then to this Companion for the Journey series. And, and this, this book of 1 Timothy, is, it, it's a letter. It, just like many of the New Testament books are, they were originally written as letters. And, and this letter went was written by a man named Paul. He was an apostle. He was a converted Pharisee. Um, he was not one of the disciples. He, he had a, a, a personal interaction with Jesus on the road to Damascus. And, and, and Jesus called him specifically to, to be a missionary to the Gentiles, right? to, to take the message of Jesus Christ outside of Jerusalem and outside of the Jewish ranks right, and to the world. And, and throughout his missionary journeys, he wrote many letters. He wrote some letters to different churches, and he also wrote letters to specific people. And this is one of the letters that he wrote to a specific person, and that person is Timothy. Now, he wrote more than one letter to Timothy, and that's why we have 1 Timothy, and we also have 2 Timothy, which is a different letter. Hey, but as we open up today, this morning, I encourage you, invite you to open up your Bible to 1 Timothy, and we're going to look at the first couple verses here, 1 Timothy chapter 1, and if you, uh, if you don't have your own Bible, there are Bibles provided for you in the seats you're welcome to use. You'll notice on, on the outline that there's a page number where you can find this passage in those Bibles, but if you want to open up with me to 1 Timothy, we're going to read the first two verses, and that's where we're starting, 1 Timothy chapter 1. Starting at verse 1, it says, This letter is from Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus, appointed by the command of God our Savior and Christ Jesus, who gives us hope. I am writing to Timothy, my true son in the faith. May God, the Father, and Christ Jesus our Lord give you grace and mercy and peace. Now, I want to pause there uh, after these first, this intro to the letter, um, and again, keep your Bible open. We're going to go back to it a couple times this morning, uh, but, but we're going to start here with just these first two verses, and, and this is literally, obviously, the intro to the letter. I mean, he identifies who he is and who he's writing to, and, uh, but in the midst of that is he uses some pretty strong phrases, 
in these first two verses. And, and, and ones that I don't want to skip over. I don't want to miss the concept of what's really happening here. First off, we see again that obviously Paul's writing and he says he's writing to Timothy. And then he, he addresses Timothy as his true son in the faith. And as we look at that phrase and think, okay, what does that mean? First off, we need to realize, right, that as a follower of Jesus, when we receive Christ as our Savior, we invite him into our lives, we confess our sins, right? We, we uh, confess our belief that he was truly 100% God, 100% man. He lived us in this life. He died on the cross. He rose again on the third day so we could all be saved. We accept him, that grace and mercy and forgiveness, and invite him into our heart. That's when we join the journey of faith, right? But then when we join the journey, then we are, we're supposed to grow in our faith, but also we get a new identity, right? We move from God's creation to God's child at that point of salvation, which means we are part of God's family. And God's family is, is supposed to be multi-generational, right? Meaning that there are those that are, are further along in their faith. There are the kind of the spiritual parents, you know, within the family of God. And, and there's also those that are just starting out in their faith and just learning the things of, of who God is and, and what Scripture is and how do we interact with it and how do we hear the voice of God and how, how do we grow on a daily basis. And as we start out, right, we, we, again, we start out of just at those beginning stages of our journey of just attending and consuming the things of God. But we see, right, that, that Paul describes Timothy as his true son in the faith and within God's family Right? Paul is identifying himself as the spiritual parent for Timothy. And we see again that, that we're supposed to have, we need these spiritual parents in our lives. Right? Those that, that we can look to for spiritual guidance and for accountability and for, for explanation on things we don't understand and, and for encouragement at times that we're, we're down or, or that things don't make sense or, or when, when we just need someone to talk to. There's a trusted person, a spiritual parent that we can contact that we know is praying for us, that, that, we, that we know is going to give us sound advice right? when we're not sure what to do. We need these spiritual parents in our life. And, and yet not just spiritual parents, but yet we also see in this multi-generational family of God that we also have spiritual children. Right? That Timothy, again, is, is as Paul says, he's my, my son in the faith. Now, now, Timothy, even at this moment in his faith journey, was not just starting out. In fact, Paul had left Timothy to pastor a church that he had started. He had mentored Timothy up to the point where now Timothy was taking leadership roles within God's family, but yet he's still a son in the face to Paul. He's still being mentored. And again, the spiritual children are those that are being helped by whoever is their spiritual parents. Now, this is seemingly a very simple concept, right? Being helped by someone further along in their faith or anything you, as well as helping somebody behind you on the journey. Right? Who am I being helped by that's further along in their journey of faith, and, and who am I helping that is just starting out, that's maybe behind me in their journey of faith? This is a very simple concept, but yet it's one that can have a huge impact for God's kingdom if it's lived out. 
It's one of these things that it's like, yeah, that's a great idea, but, but for, the real, for it to be really powerful, we actually have to do it. And I tell you, just as a pastor, I'm, I'm telling you, like, like I, I have lots of spiritual children, but the whole weight of even just this congregation is not designed to be on my shoulders by myself, right? It's, we're supposed to be a family of God together, and we're supposed to all take on that responsibility together as we help each other. Right? And, and when you see that, right, this is, again, a very simple concept, but one that can have a huge impact for God's kingdom. In fact, when we look at this idea of being a spiritual parent and being a spiritual child, right, we understand that every believer should have spiritual children. Again, it's not just the job of, of ordained pastors to be spiritual parents, right? It's, it's every believer should have spiritual children. And sometimes that's actually our physical children, right? And sometimes it's people we have no relation to at all. Sometimes it's not even people that are younger than us, right? This isn't about an age. This is about where you're at in your faith journey equation. But every believer should have spiritual children. Again, a very simple concept, but, but yet one that can have a huge impact for God's kingdom. In fact, I'm willing to make the bold statement to say that this idea of Having spiritual children, right, is the epitome of the contribute-consume concept. Right? It, is, it is the epitome of the consume and contribute idea that overshadows our vision. Right? This is literally the basis of our men's ministry and of our women's ministry about how are we going to have spiritual parents and spiritual children-type relationships within this congregation. Because the truth is every believer should have spiritual children. Again, we see this, this first powerful phrase, your son of the faith, but, but we also say, um, see that, that Paul identifies um, God the Father and, and that Christ Jesus, our Lord, that, that, that he gives things in the midst of this relationship. Again, and Paul acknowledges that the power of this relationship comes from God. Again, it's not a responsibility that, or a weight that we carry on our own shoulders. Right? I don't have to bring anything into that relationship other than my presence right, and my effort. Right? The power of these parent and children mentor relationships is in who God is and in his spirit and what he's doing. Right? Just like we sang earlier in the service that God is working from the inside out in every heart. Right? I don't have to make up anything. I don't even have to know everything to be a spiritual parent. All I have to do is be willing to point somebody to Jesus and to pray for them and to encourage them. Right? They, the power of this type of relationship is, comes from God. It doesn't come from me. It's not anything that I have to fabricate myself. Again, just this phrase of our Lord means that we are both submitting ourselves to Jesus. And that you are, are both following the leading of the Holy Spirit in your life. And, and that you're just doing this together, side by side. Right? God is the one working. He is the one transforming. And you are just supplying the right, right environment for him to speak. And for him to work. And we, we are part of this relationship that providing that right relationship, the, the, the ultimate truth comes out in the fact that you will both consume from this partnership. 
Right? Whether you are a spiritual parent or a spiritual children in, in any aspect of when you talk about different people, right? And again, we should ideally have spiritual parents in our life as well as some spiritual children in our lives. But, but the more you interact in these relationships, you both will learn and grow from this partnership. In fact, when you look at, at just in our, in our church family and those that are companion leads, right, that are spiritual parents that are set up in some of these relationships that are happening in our congregation already, the truth is you could ask any of the companion leads and they'll say, man, I've learned more from my companion than what I've taught them. Because the truth is you both consume from this partnership. Again, what does God give out of this relationship? I mean, Paul just literally describes four specific things that he gets from God through this relationship, that they both get from God through this relationship. They get hope, as he identifies in verse 1. And then in verse 2, he says, and we also get grace and mercy and peace. Do you want hope and grace and mercy and peace as a part of your life? I absolutely do. That's something I want. Something that I hope for each day. At least we have the TV on this. Oh, that one came back. We'll both consume. Right? We want hope and grace and mercy and peace, more peace than we're experiencing in the sound booth right now. Right, so, so we see, again, Paul lays this foundation for this, this, par- this spiritual parent and spiritual child relationship that has happening between Paul and Timothy. And then we, he goes on later in the chapter, and he, he unpacks this idea of, and gives us some practical advice right, on, on how to, to actually be a spiritual parent. And, and I, I want to next look at verse 5. Okay, 1 Timothy 1 verse 5, and it says, the purpose of my instruction is that all believers would be filled with love that comes from a pure heart, a clear conscience, and a genuine faith. Purpose of this instruction is that all believers will be filled with love that comes from a pure heart, a clear conscience, and a genuine faith. I see this well, how do we live that out? That's a, that's a big ask, right? And then as you see, though, through this chapter, Paul then kind of identifies a few different ways that, that people mess it up. And, and because the truth is we, that we're good at messing things up, aren't we? Right? I mean, God is at work, God does great things, and then we step in and we mess it up. Right, we're good at that. And so Paul, I mean, Paul identifies here through this, this, these following verses ways that we, we, either we mess it up or we've seen people mess it up. And, and, and I, I look at these and I look at this list and be like, yep, I, I've experienced every single one of these. And I've probably done every one of these before. First one that he identifies in verses 4 through 6, he, he talks about we, how we waste their time in meaningless discussions. This is a good way to mess it up. Right now, we come up with all kinds of ways to waste our time, don't we? Right? We're, I mean, we're good at wasting time. I mean, I think, you know, there's, think about 
how productive is your day or productive is your life, right? There's, there's, there's times, right, that, that we need to just relax and kind of waste some time, and that's okay, but, but, but there's, there are some things, right, that, that there's time for a rest or a deep breath or some fun for fun's sake, and there's nothing wrong with that, but, but yet there's also lots of things we can do that is, is a, a substantial waste of time, right? Especially when it comes to the things of faith. I'll tell you, it's been, it's been several months ago. It was pre-COVID, but I, I think I remember one day I, I got a, a phone call in the church office. And, and, and um, again, the answer, you know, they asked for the pastor. And, and so, um, you know, it came and said, hey, we got somebody on the phone. And they asked for the pastor. I'm like, okay, yeah. So, again, I was in the middle of working, and I was like, that's fine. I'll, I'll take a call. And so I took the call, and, and, and this person on the other side just says, oh, I, and you're the pastor. You're Brian. You know, yep. And he's like, so I was on your church website, and I was looking at your church's statement of faith. I'm like, oh, okay, great. Are, are you looking for a church? Or, you know, you have questions? How can I, what, what can, can I help? And, and he's like, well, there's just a couple things I want to talk to you about. And at this point, I like, I'm thinking, okay, you know, just, I mean, we get these kind of calls. That's fine. Like, this is not a waste of my time. Like, if somebody really wants to talk, right? And then he goes on to say, and I'm like, oh, so, so are you looking for it? And he didn't answer any of my questions, right, which is kind of the first red flag. And I'm like, I wonder how this phone call is going to go. Right? And then he goes, well, on your statement of faith, it says that you believe in the Trinity, in the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, and all that, right? And I'm like, yes, Absolutely. He's like, so are you to, and then he just goes off, right? Are you to tell me that you can, you know, whatever. And I was like, and it literally, I just, I'm like, what, so what is your purpose of calling me today? Right, and, and again, he, he, he wouldn't answer my question, right? And then again, then finally, I'm like, hey, by the way, like, where are you? Like, are, are you in our community? Like, are you in the Treasure Valley? And again, wouldn't answer my question. Right, and then, and I just said, I'm like, so I'll ask, you, I'll ask you one more time, what is your purpose in calling today? Right? And he just literally just started yelling into the phone, and I just hung it up. Right? And I think in the midst of that, I'm like, I'm sitting there thinking, I'm like, that was a royal waste of time. Right? Like, I, I mean, now, again, I, I'm willing to have any kind of conversation with you about what we believe and what we don't believe and what Scripture says and what, like, that, I don't mind having that kind of conversation, but, but I think, like, what was the point? Right? I'm thinking, I'm like, that, like, again, it just, is your, you think you're benefiting the use of your time and mine to call, just randomly cold call churches and yell at pastors? Like, that, that's really the best use of your time. And, and even if you're right on your theological perspective, like, do we, do we want to use some of the most brightest theological, scholarly minds in our world on Scripture? Is that really the best use of their time, is to call and yell at pastors over the phone? I mean, there's a waste of my time and a waste of theirs. And, and, and yet, there are so many things that we see, especially even in the Christian community and world, that is a colossal waste of time. Right? And, and Paul says, like, this is one of the ways we mess it up. Right? And then in verse, in verse 6, the beginning part of verse 6, he says, but some people have missed the whole point. Some people just miss the whole point. I mean, again, is the point for, uh, for Christians to argue over time? You know, interpretations of Scripture? I don't think so. 
I, I think the, the point, right, is, again, to go back, right, that, that Jesus is the Lord and that, that he wants to save the world and that, that we as his followers, a part of his family, need to represent him to the world. And, and again, you know what? Non-believers, people who don't believe in God or follow Jesus, they're watching as Christians fight with each other. Right? And it's a waste of time. Because it's not showing them who God really is. Right? And when we think about being, you know, think about this, there's, there's this, this famous quote by Stephen Covey. He's a popular business and leadership author, but, but he's quoted as saying that the main thing is to keep the main thing the main thing. Which again, is a very simple concept, right? But one that is easy to forget. Again, what's the main thing of our faith? It's for people to find Jesus. Right, to fall in love with a God that loves them. Right, and for us to grow in our faith ourselves and we can show the world who God really is. Right, that's the main thing. It's Jesus. Right, again, are we spending our time on the right things? Because it's easy to mess it up, right, by wasting our time in meaningless discussions. And then we see, as he continues on, and I want to read verses 8 through 11. And it's the first Timothy, we're going to jump back in here, First Timothy 1, picking up at verse 8. And he says, And we know that the law is good when used correctly. For the law was not intended for people who do what is right. It is for people who are lawless and rebellious, who are ungodly and sinful, who consider nothing sacred and defile what is holy, who kill their father or mother or commit other murders. The law is for people who are sexually immoral or who practice homosexuality or are slave traders, liars, promise breakers, or who do anything else that contradicts the wholesome teaching that comes from the glorious good news entrusted to me by our blessed God. Again, as we read this kind of list here, and he plays out, he starts out with this, with this idea of verse 8, and, and, and which gives us the next way that we mess it up, and, and that is the fact that we misuse the law. But, and again, he, he says in verse 8, he says, we know that the law is good if it's used correctly. Well, that implies that it can be used incorrectly, doesn't it? And, and many times, again, we have misused the law. And as you see then in verses 9 through 11, the other verses that, that we read, right, that there Paul literally defines who a sinner is. Right? Anyone who falls short of God's standard of holiness, right, is a sinner. Now again, this, there's literally, he literally lists out some specific sins. Right? And, and Paul does this more than once, not just in this letter. As we read his his writings, he, he, he does this often. He, he lists out some specific sins, but then he makes these generalized statements as well, right? Which is exactly what he does here. Again, and, and because again, he says not just these specific things, but anybody, right, who, who doesn't live up to God's standard of holiness, right? Which again is, is everyone, isn't it? Right? Like that's the point of the gospel is that we all need a savior. We're all sinners, and yet, it's lists like these, ironically, that are used many times and misused by people, right, when somebody has committed one of those specific sins in that list. Right? And many times, we as Christians like to throw stones at those that maybe have committed a, one of those things that's on that list, but, but yet, 
if we're honest, right? We cannot read that list and ever say, yep, no, that, that list doesn't apply to me. Right? We can't throw stones. In fact, you look back in John chapter 8, and, and when they bring the adulterous woman to Jesus' feet, right, and they're ready to stone her for her sin, and, and Jesus tells them, he is with, who is without sin can cast the first stone. Right? And none of them threw a stone at her. But again, the, the side of that, right, they were misusing the law because they were using her and her sin and her sin when all of them were sinners too. And that's what Jesus called out. Right, was that they were all sinners too, right? But yet they were using the law to, to trap not just her, but also to trap Jesus. Right, and then the, the following verses here in, the, in this chapter, verses 12 through 17, then, then define the proper use of the law. Right, and the proper use of the law is to help us help everybody realize that we're all sinners and we all need a Savior. Right, and that's exactly where Paul goes in this. And we see he kind of he sums it up in, in verse 15. He says, this is a trustworthy saying and everyone should accept it, that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners. And I am the worst of them all. I think, from, I think that perspective probably applies to all of us, doesn't it? We look at our own lives and be like, yep, I'm the worst of them all. And, and that might not be true, I mean, but, but it's also not the point, right? The point is that we are all sinners, and we all need a Savior, and, and again, going back to like John 8, and that story in John 8, right, with the adulterous woman, and, and the fact the only person that could have thrown a stone in that situation was Jesus, right, because he was without sin, but yet, what was Jesus' response to her, right? He could have thrown a stone. He was right, he righteously could have thrown a stone at her. And yet, his response to her was, leave your life of sin. You have been forgiven. Right? We can misuse the law. And you've probably had the law misused, Scripture misused on you before. I know I have. When somebody throws a verse at you and they don't like your decision or they don't like what you've done or the stance that you've taken and someone throws a little scriptural rock at you. All right, we mess it up by wasting our time on meaningless discussions, by misusing the law. And we also, I think it all leads to this culmination that Paul, the point that he makes of the last way that we mess it up and that is by glorifying themselves instead of God. Or we glorify ourselves instead of God. I mean, he addresses it twice in verses 7 and 17. Now, again, it seems a little bit ironic when we read Paul's writings that he talks about, again, humbly honoring God and ourselves because um, there's a fairly popular opinion out there about the biblical writers that Paul is the most arrogant biblical writer. Right? And that the way that, that he that he writes and comes across that his personality is very aggressive and very arrogant. And I will admit, it is very aggressive. Right? And, and he, he is very blunt in a lot of things that he says. I mean, you can, you can even just see here as we go through this book that he's pretty, pretty harsh on Timothy in a couple different places. Right? But yet there's, there's also a, a, a difference between arrogance and confidence. 
right? And yet somebody, and I, and I get that perspective of that Paul comes across as arrogant and, and aggressive in, in the way that he writes and, and, and mentors people, but, but then he also, though, comes back and kind of writes things like verse 17, where he says, all honor and glory to God forever and ever. He is the eternal king, the unseen one who never dies. He alone is God. Amen. And literally, he talks in this whole section about how we are humbled by the fact that God is God and God is holy and we are not God. And we are sinners in need of a savior. And then this, this word amen, right, that he puts it again, it's a word that we use lots, but yet it's one that we can come back to. That literally, the literal translation of the word amen is so be it. And right? again, Paul makes the statement, he's like, no, he's God, he's the eternal king, he has the power, he has the honor, so be it. Right, that's the way it is, and I accept that. Right, I'm going to live into that fact. And then, so we see, again, these, these ways that, that we easily mess up this relationship, right? That we waste our time in these discussions, we misuse the law, and we glorify ourselves instead of God. But then he goes into this, this last little section of chapter 1, and, and he, he, this is kind of the, the do this section, right? He's been spent a lot of time on don't do this, right? This is how you can mess it up. And then, then he goes into these, these next verses, verses 18 and 19 is the do this Timothy section, right? He says, Timothy, my son, here are my instructions for you. Based on the prophetic words spoken about you earlier, may they help you fight well in the Lord's battles, cling to your faith in Christ, and keep your conscience clear. For some people have deliberately violated their consciences, and as a result, their faith has been shipwrecked. Again, this is the point where, he, I mean, Paul's made his point, right? He said, Timothy, don't mess this up, right? Don't, don't follow the patterns of other believers or, or the world and just the way they just, just Timothy, this is important. Just don't mess this up. And, but here, here's what's going to keep you on the right track, right? And, and he literally gives Timothy three things that we should do. Okay, the first thing that we should do is to fight well the Lord's battles, Again, what's one of, the, I believe, the most biggest common misconceptions about being a follower of Jesus is that following Jesus makes you weak. Right? And that is an absolute lie. Right? Following Jesus makes you stronger than ever before because you're not fighting with your own strength. You're fighting with God's power. And by the way, God wins. I mean, you can read the end of the book. Right? God wins. Like you, you're stronger if you follow Jesus. And, and, and again, if we're going to fight well, right, we're going to do it with everything we have. We're going to do it with excellence because we're going we're gonna to not just fight, but we're going to fight well right? because God wins. Right? We can fight with that confidence. Again, not arrogance, but with confidence. Right, but also, the, the, the fact is that it's the Lord's battles, that the God directs us what battles we're supposed to fight in. And by the way, I'll just tell you, it's not with each other. Right, the battles we're supposed to fight are God's battles. Right, and we can listen and follow his direction on which battles we're supposed to be in. Right, and when God directs us to fight, then we fight well. Fight well the Lord's battles. Hey, then not just to fight well, but he also tells Timothy, and, and we can learn from this advice, right, that we need to cling to our faith in Christ. 
When you have nothing else to cling to, cling to your faith. Again, the only reason I'm not bound by the law is because Jesus' work on the cross to pay for my sin. And I need to treat every sinner the way that God has treated me. Right? And no matter what their sin of choice is, even if it's different than my sin of choice, right, I treat them the same way that God's treated me. And I cling to my faith. And I cling to the gospel. And then the last thing he tells us, if we do these right, he tells us to keep our conscience clear. Like, Timothy, know that you are accountable to God. And God speaks to you, right? He directs you. And, and one of the main ways that we hear the voice of God is through our conscience. Right? And he tells you, keep your conscience clear. Follow the leading of the Holy Spirit. Only do what glorifies God, not what glorifies you. Keep your conscience clear, Timothy. Because if you do this wrong, I and mean, this is so important, if you do this wrong, it will shipwreck your faith. In the final verse of chapter 1, Paul literally calls out two people that have shipwrecked their faith. Right? And he's telling Timothy, he's like, Timothy, don't do this wrong. Right? You, you've been a, a spiritual child of mine, and now you're in a position where now you are you're a spiritual parent for lots of other people. Don't mess it up, Timothy, but, but, but do these things right. Because the truth is that God has devised this plan with his family structure, that we will be surrounded by people that will be like a lighthouse in our lives, right, that will keep us from being shipwrecked. And this plan is multi-generational. This plan is the epitome of the consume and contribute concept. And we should all have spiritual parents. And every believer should also have spiritual children. Again, this should continue long enough in your life and in your faith journey that you even get spiritual grandchildren. Remember, God's family is multi-generational. Which brings me to my final thought this morning, and that is this. That the goal of our faith is to be a disciple of Jesus that helps make other disciples. So who are your spiritual parents and who are your spiritual children? Again, I don't know where you're at in your faith journey this morning. I don't know whether you're just, a, you're in that consume part of your faith journey. And if that's where you are, then just consume and grow and, and trust your spiritual parents. Right? And get to the point where you can be a spiritual parent. If, if you are far enough along, then the question would be, who, who are you investing in? Right? Who are you sharing with? Right? Maybe you've never accepted Christ as your Savior at all, and you haven't even started this journey, and, and that's your next step, is to, is to pray and accept Christ as your Savior today. And if that's where you are, then I, I pray that you will take that step. And Lord God, we thank you for the blessings in our life. God, we thank you that you're with us, Lord, no matter where we're at in our faith journey. God, I pray that you would guide us as we go this week, Lord, for us to show this world who you really are. And God, help us to not waste our time on the wrong things. Lord, help us to keep you as the main thing of our life, God, and the, the destination of our journey. God, help us to show, again, this world who you really are. God, how much you love us. We thank you for saving us. God, for forgiving us when we didn't deserve it. God, we thank you for, Lord, the encouragers we have in our lives. God, that we can be a part of your family. God, that we can shine your light in this world, Lord, so that none of us will be shipwrecked. Lord, we love you. We thank you. 
Lord, for giving us, Lord, ways to grow in our faith every day. And I pray, Lord, that as we go this week, Lord, that we would take that step forward. Lord, and invest in someone else. We love you. We thank you. Guide us as we go. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.